the Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. The best and brightest entrepreneurs, CEOs, creators, athletes. We'll talk to them all and we'll get the good, the bad, and the ugly on how they made it. Decoding the secrets of success. Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. Unveiling the path to success. And now your host, Terry Barr. I just wanted to let the folks that are that are listening know we have uh, a really special guest, Tracy Smith. He's a head baseball coach at Michigan, a uh, brand new position. He's been uh, been a different couple different schools over the past twenty years, and uh, we're excited to have him. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we're lifelong lifelong friends, and uh, this is an opportunity to hear about his story. Now, some obviously we'll hear some baseball, we'll hear some family stuff, but we really want to get into what this podcast is all about, and that's the grit behind the grind in other words how did he get there what was his mindset um you know is that something that anybody can duplicate and what did he spend time doing to to make towards that so just a little bit of an introduction he's the head coach at michigan uh he also played in the and the uh, the ranks so he was drafted in 1988 38 uh, in the june draft and uh played i guess that was the cubs right yeah and that yeah yeah the cubs good uh, so I wanted to get right into it. I don't want to take too much of your time, but we want to hear your story. You started out and uh, tell me a little bit about your uh, your your uh, your childhood, where you grew up. Uh, kind of, I guess if you if you if you look at the size of the town, you, you, nobody expects somebody like yourself to come out of the size of the town. It's a pretty small town. But tell us about uh, where you grew up. Yo, you know a little bit about that childhood now too. So yes, sir. Well, yeah, Kitland, Indiana. Um, town of 1800 people by last count i'm not really sure what it is now i don't know if it's growing or shrinking but uh yeah super small town but it's funny that you bring up the town because i talk about that even in in recruiting with parents today because um and again not saying that you can't get a good upbringing in other places obviously you can but but i mean i i think that town has a lot of the fabric and honestly in in how um you know who i am as a person but also how we run our program and whether it's at miami of ohio to indiana to asu to here i talk about you know just a small i always said i've said just a small town guy who's gotten pretty lucky over time Uh, yeah well it's interesting because i've seen you uh from afar now we we live in two different states obviously we don't get a chance to see each other very often but uh i've seen you from afar really kind of grow up as a as a kid yourself uh through the, the coaching ranks, you know, play video games with your guys and cutting up and all of those things that you love to do when you're young and then and then growing into this this old season vet that uh, that that you are now. Tell me about tell me about your early on your mindset when you were just starting out as a player. What were your goals as a player? Did you know you were going to eventually be a coach because you seemed to fit that bill really well? But tell me about what you were thinking when you started thinking about goals and what were that. Great question. Um, you know, when you're playing, you know, you're still playing. And um, I, I got to be honest with you, I never really thought about being a coach, you know, because I was playing. And your whole mindset when you're playing is keep playing as long as you can until somebody tells you you can't. And um, so I would love to sit here and tell you that I had this master plan that, you know, when I stopped playing baseball or whatever, that I was going to like fast track into coaching. But the reality of the matter is, and back to the, the playing days 
put a little perspective when you talk about grind. Um, you know, I, I can remember vividly spring training 91 and, uh, you know, my wife's pregnant, Jamie's pregnant with our first and the Cubs at that time said, and this is where times are a little bit different you know, today. They said, if you go home for the birth of your child, because I, she's pregnant, she's getting ready to have, they said, if you go home, stay home. And oh. so how about that? Yeah. Uh, so it's one of those things when I started playing uh, professionally, I said, look, if I'm not continuing to progress through the system as a player on the field, then I'm going to shut it down myself. And I think so in spring training of 91, I think coupled with the fact that my first child is going to be born, uh, I missed the birth of that. Oh, I'm boy. Saying, yeah, I'm not bragging about oh, that. Boy. But it was those things. What, yeah. what, I back to the grind. Like it literally was posed that way that if you leave, you, you don't come back. And so I missed that. Um, having a pretty successful spring training, but I got put back on the roster that um, I was on the the year before, and so I was kind of stagnant. So I kind of hung it up myself, and I remember going in and not really having a life plan at that point, other than I said I've got a college to actually, you know, got a college degree in in, in hand. Um, I want to see what next steps of life unfold in front of me, but I actually got started coaching, or started uh, my career coaching at the branch campus of Miami University as a basketball coach after a failed opportunity at an administrator position. I thought I wanted to be an administrator. Okay. And it's funny how life kind of, you know, throws different twists and turns at you. And I was devastated because I'd had, I hate not, and I say this humbly, but like, you know, some success. And I really hadn't had a lot of nose in my life. And when I was told no on that administrator thing, I was like devastated. I was mad. I was angry. But all the doors that then opened up. And that's honestly how it started was um, given a chance to start coaching basketball. And that's where the love began. So tell me about, tell me about that moment in time where, you know, you went from, you went from having a good spring training, which was reflective of my spring training before I got cut. But uh, you have this good spring training started. You feel like you're doing well. You get that big no, you transition, you get another no when you go to Miami uh, as far as administratively. What was your mindset there? Tell tell me tell me how you work through that. As athletes, we work through injuries, we work through slumps, we work through all kinds of things. But when you're when it's not a familiar fail, how did you work through that that mindset? Well, it's it's funny. I didn't know at the time, and, and again, I go back, and a lot of these things I think we figure out at the young, early stages of our lives because there weren't podcasts back in the day, and all of these things where you could take these experiences. And people thought about them intellectually and it would help and pass on knowledge and experiences. At the time, I didn't know, but what I subsequently learned, I guess I would say um, a really good friend of mine, and, and I would recommend that you and your listeners uh, you know, get, get a shot at digging, it. Do, do some digging on this guy, yeah, Scott, right. Pel Scott Pelton with Tignum. Oh, yeah. And he talks about reframing. And, and it was just, it's like taking that circumstance, that situation that's ultimately or maybe you perceive it to be a negative at that time, but really it's just another opportunity to reframe and set your sights and direction in, in, on another path. And in, in the coaching profession, which is now, I had another big reframe coming later in my life with the situation at Arizona State. Yeah. So, you know, I think in those times like that, I've never been afraid of that. I've never been afraid. Now I think about that, how lucky I am to have those no's because it, it forces you. I've always said that to even my colleagues and friends that 
had the misfortune of maybe getting fired or something happens, a coaching change or whatever. It forces you to really center in on and look at and use your resources, use your network to be creative and reinvent yourself or as I said, reframe yourself. So back to that time, I didn't know that I was doing that at the time. Um, but I went into that kind of, oh, you know, this coaching thing. I like, you know, I like sport. I like people. Um, let's give this thing a go. And that's, and that's really, it was as simple as that. And I, I again, I wish I could give you this thing where I just sat down and locked myself in a room and said, Hey man, I'm gonna, but I didn't do that. It was just this open mind. It's a good point in my life to, to kind of start and try something different. And that's how it happened. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because I know it's in college sports, especially at D1 and professional sports, it's such a business. And there's a very small, very small pool of people that have the skill set that you have. Like nobody can just walk up the street and say, I want to be a head coach at Michigan and, and have an opportunity to do that. So, you know, you guys get let go and picked up and let go and picked up across the board. And it just seems like it's such a business to become a business. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. You know, if you're not, if you're not in the wind column right out of the gate, I mean, you're on the hot seat. And that to me is a harder thing in some respects to deal with knowing that, Hey, if I'm not winning out of the gate, I got to start wondering what they're thinking about me. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Well, I, I think the difference, um, because I think all of us and you included, I mean, the things that you do, there's wins and losses in every, everything you do. And I think, but the, most obvious differences maybe is that, you know, as a coach, it's you're on public display, you know, and just like we've talked here, you've played baseball and I mean, our sport and the one that I've chosen, a lot of people played it and everybody, you know, everybody's got an opinion on it, you know, and everybody's a professional. So I just, you know, I, I, I just looked at that as the opportunity to do that and you're in the public arena, but you keep both feet in today it was what you were just saying too about not everybody has the ability. I think there are a lot of people that have the ability to do what I do and what you do, but it becomes a war of attrition. It becomes of getting knocked down. And can you, can you, can you get back up off of that and reframe and, you know, attack and keep going? That's the part of it. You know, for me, as I see young coaches, I get guys all the time saying, you know, Hey man, I want to be a coach. I want to be a college coach. I want to do what you do. And first thing I tell them, I said, man, it's, it's attrition. Yeah. It's just war of attrition. You got to be able to keep going because this is a long and tedious grind to, you know, ultimately succeed. So most people, most people in, in all stages of life, professionals, uh, in any, in any walk of life have certain people that they rely on, certain people they lean on for advice, for mentorship, even, you know, I have mentors in my business. I've been in the business for a long time. Uh, tell me about the people that maybe you are your go-to people, and if you don't need to name them if you don't want to, but um, you know who do you go to when head coach at Michigan says, hmm, "I have a, I have a gray spot here, or I have a I have a blind spot here. I need to get some advice." Who do you get your advice from? Well, a great question, you know, and this is one of those things. And I, I'm sure you've because what are we? We're probably a year or so difference in age, you know. Yeah, and, two years. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, life as you go through life. And this is the thing that happened to me, Terry, when the ASU situation happened, and I'm out, and, you know, and you know, and I'm close to when I, you know, quote unquote, could retire. One of those things I really started to think about of 30 years in this business and in, in this profession, like how big my network is. Yeah. Well, and so back to the question of 
you know, early in my career, I'd say, honestly, it was my father-in-law. Lynn Darbyshire was uh, a longtime coach, administrator, uh, one of the greatest influences on me um, and my philosophies and how I would do things as a coach. And I get asked this question a lot and have over the years. Uh, another gentleman that no one has ever heard of, that's probably one of the greatest influences on me, is a guy named Jimmy Sliger. He was the basketball coach at this little branch campus of Miami University but just when I was an assistant with him, but to work with Jimmy every single day and to see how he went about it, the principles and the, the morals and the ethics by which he did it is something I still think about to this day. But back to the network, when you asked your specific question about right. Michigan, um, it back, you know, I've got a lot of people to choose from now that I've met over the years that if it's a question in, you know, professional baseball, you pick up the phone and you, you know, you call anybody. I mean, I've had sitting having dinner and conversation with some of the greatest of you know Tony Larusa and talking, picking his brain about managing and all of those. So, you know, when I start adding up, I can't sit here and tell you that it's one thing or one book, but it's just taking all of those people that come into your life over the course of your career and having a growth mindset. And I tell my staff when they go out, and I say this, I say when you go out, whether it's recruiting or you go speak at a convention, whatever, come back with three to five people that you've met that you put in that network that you can, you know, call upon and, and service and back and forth o- over your career. So that's yeah, kind of that, how I, that's, that's good. That's good wisdom. I know networks are important. You know, I, you grow up as a young guy, at least I did. I don't know how, you know, what you thought, but I grew up a young guy. I felt like I knew a lot about a lot. And when you get older, you don't know much about anything. So the bigger your network and the, the, the more people you can draw on with different, opinions and different outlooks, it's it just makes for a more full decision or a more full life as far as that's concerned. So I, I, I totally 100% agree with you on that. I uh, A book came to mind when you, you talked about the book you read, but uh, John Acuff uh, wrote it and it's called uh, Soundtracks. So you said reframing and he wrote a book about soundtracks. This, when something triggers you when you're in a certain situation where a soundtrack starts to play, oh, the, you know, I'm 0 and 2 this is what I think about during that 0-2 period. A soundtrack starts playing in your mind and how to how to change that soundtrack. And so that, that reminded me when you said reframe my, you know, my decision maker, reframe my life or, or whatever it is, that book came to mind. It's a really, really good book for for my business because we get a lot of goodness, we get a lot of uh, you know, questions and and objections and all those things. So to to change your mindset is is super important. But tell me about your um Tell me about your family a little bit. I know we started a little quick, but I know you, your wife's name's Jamie. You got three boys. Tell me about just give me some basics on those those guys. Yeah, well, Jamie, as I said, I, you know her father-in-law was again one of the best influences on me, and we had the uh, good fortune of you know producing three sons that uh, you know pretty proud of and what they're doing in their various spots. My oldest, Casey, actually played um, for me in our world. You know, that's an interesting thing. Played for me on a. Coaching your son has its own challenges. Let's just I'm, say it. It does. Uh, but he is in film production and actually just started um, in a new company with Dolphin Entertainment and uh, the digital department and working in the NIL space for college athletes across okay. the country. Okay. All right. Kind of, a, kind of a cool cool deal. My middle son, Ty, um, played college football at Indiana and it is now a successful baseball agent with RSR, which is uh, Rosenhouse Sports. Yeah, big one. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so really proud and, and it's fun to see him. I've taken a football guy and now he's in the baseball space. <laughs> and then my youngest one, uh, Jack, uh, signed at a Power 5 school um, as well and is now on staff uh, coaching after his playing career. He's following his father's footsteps, but he's doing it on the football side. Smarter because the salaries are bigger and that yeah, stuff. That's true. <laughs> he's at the uh, University of Oregon. I thought we were going to have, Terry, I thought we were going to have an Oregon matchup if they'd won the uh, – pack yeah i saw that game i thought of your son i know he's, he's pretty new to that position and i thought i've been watching you know your some of your posts throughout the year and i thought oh man this is going to be a great year they're going to end up in the in the finals but that was tough that was a tough one for sure but i was just open for the match of michigan and if we yeah. had been in the Rose Bowl, we had we had our airbnb already reserved <laughs> and then we had to cancel all that so. oh you're not going you're not gonna you're not gonna support the well because now oregon plays in phoenix which is oh. where our other Places the oh, very so, same day, so that's not great. a bad consolation. No, prize. not a bad consolation. That's pretty. That's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. That's great. Let me just pull this up quick. And just so you, you know, when I took the job at ASU, everybody, my parent, I mean, my parents moved out there. I was you know, gonna say they, everybody moved. They're still there. Aren't everybody they? moved out, and they're all there because they got a taste of that warm weather. They're not coming. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Both my boys live out there now. I think you knew that. Yeah. And uh, my youngest son got married. He just flew back into Pennsylvania today, so I get a chance to see my other boys out there. They enjoy the heat, but, boy, when it gets hot, it gets hot. <laughs> it gets hot out there. It's a, it's a dry it heat. Well, think about my job, though, man. Yeah. I'm outside, so yeah. I'll need a cold weather any day. Yeah, that's those spring practices in Michigan can't be fun, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and we'll talk about this, but, I mean, I'm sure, but it's all people. You know, yeah. I don't care what the weather is, what your profession is, coaching, business, real estate. It's it's people. And if you have good people in your organization or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, and so yeah, that's we, true. we sell. So, so we go from, you know, your playing career where you, you got kind of cranked up, you got started, uh, didn't go, you know, the way you wanted it to go. You made some decisions that were the best for your family. You got into coaching finally. Um, you know, at what point during your early coaching years did things start to make sense? Because I, I know those new jobs, I mean, you can't just pop into a coaching job and and say, okay, I'm under control and I know everything. At what point did this, the game slow down for you as a coach? Uh, how long did you were you in it before things really started to, to cook and you felt like you had a grip on things? I mean, when you play that long, obviously, you know the game, you know what you would do if you're – you know, if you were a coach, but now that you're a coach, how, how long did that, that kind of take to get? Another great question. Cranked uh, up. Yeah, another great question. I, I would say, you know, I don't think you ever really figure it all out. I mean, I think the comfort level, I, I think back to this job in particular, because when I was at Miami of Ohio as a player, we used to play Michigan a lot with Barry Larkin and, you know, and, and I would always look at those guys in awe and I looked at this institution in awe. So I, I say that to say that I never in a million years would like think of myself coaching here. Like it just seemed like this thing that was like no in pot, no way. But now that I'm in it, and, and I and again I say this respectfully and and without, but it's it's easy for me now, you know, because I've seen a lot over my career and back to the experience of ASU. You know, back to you said the playing when you. You know, someone tells you you're not good enough at something and ultimately that door closes, then you got to reframe and you take. But you grow from every one of those situations. So if I go back and I look at my 
my career. I don't know that I ever really, like I say, figured it out, but where I really started to, to me to get comfortable was the good experiences of the winning that validates. And I can remember sitting in the world series in 2013, um, because, and we haven't spent a lot of time in our adult lives together, but I mean, I don't, one of my favorite sayings is like, take your job seriously, but don't take yourself too seriously. And what I mean by that is like, look, this is supposed to be fun. Life is supposed to be fun. We don't have a lot of time on this planet. So we can work hard. You don't have to be a jerk. You can hold people accountable and you can do all of these things, but you can still be a human being. And I remember in 2013 when taking Indiana to the College World Series at a place that every, when I was evaluating that job, every one of my colleagues said, do not take that job. You cannot win there. But here you are now sitting in Omaha, Nebraska of the state. Cool, you know, and I remember, and I literally remember doing this. I remember looking down the table at the press conference and I'm seeing all these legendary coaches and people that I really admired. I'm like just sitting at the same table with them. Like, you know what? Your system works. I mean, I remember having that thought. So maybe it was that moment, you know, I mean, that's a, I remember that moment distinctly and that's over 10 years ago. Yeah. Me. That's interesting. I mean, you guys, you guys won the super regional, right? And then you went to what was it Tallahassee, I think, and, and beat those. Yep. That was a super regional, I guess. And then, yep. but you hosted the regionals, I guess, right? And you know, and Schwarber makes things a little easier for yeah, you. Yeah, him and and what was the other kid that? Uh, the, which one? We had we had five big leaguers on that Torkelson team. Torkelson and was it Torkelson well, on there? Well, Torkelson well, was ASU, but Sam oh, Travis. Oh, okay, that's right. That's right. a big leaguer. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know that we ever, I mean, I, I said it earlier about growth mindset. So, but back to the, the ASU thing and being here, uh, I just remember like the alumni, I know some people saying to me, when I took the jobs, like, Hey man, like, you know, you, you gotta be really able to navigate this alumni and the pressure. And I, and I'm literally like, dude, I'm good. Like I was just in a situation, you know, taking that situation in Arizona state. I'm like, Look, I've been through that. So Every stop along the way, and this is, again, whether it's coaching or whatever business, you take those and you put those in your toolbox to where that presents itself in the future, then you're going to feel like you're ready for that situation, So, which comes age and wisdom. Yeah, age and wisdom. Isn't that the truth? Do your uh, do your boys, uh, you have a good enough relationship? Do they listen to you? Do they, do they listen to that age and wisdom, or are they still trying to figure some of that stuff out? I'd say, well, you got boys, so you you probably know, <laughs> and you know, like we always, you never stop parenting. You know that. Yeah. Um, I talk to my boys. Quite frankly, we talk probably at least once every two days. They're calling in various things on their profession. So no, we have a really really cool relationship and being able to counsel them. And and yeah, I mean, I've tried to help them shorten that learning curve early on, but like you, you got to do, you got to let them their thing and maybe fail and succeed and how many times lately i'll say this but I'll, you know a couple of them say, yeah i should have listened to you a long time but that's part of the growth part of that yeah, that's true that's true so i know you got a little grandbaby you got one one grandbaby or two grandbabies now i i like i like your facebook post see the grandbabies or the dog i mean you, you're big on the pups right big on the pups. and the cats i got cats all over here yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Keep well, that's life. well that stays alive you know and being People would always talk about it on the grand. Hey, can't you know? Wait till you get to that. I'm like, yeah, right. It is correct. I mean, that grand thing is the best. We have two grandsons. Actually, I have a granddaughter coming new coming oh. in January, so I'm gonna have the first. I know. So excited about that. Yeah, everybody know about that. Good. So, go go to your everyday life for me. Everyday life 
uh, let's call it coaching life when you're in your coaching and it certainly floods over into reg- regular life. But, you know, we run into these situations. I run into them in my business where not everything is black and white. Uh, you know, I, I'm a black and white guy. I don't like to spend time in the gray. I don't like to be there, but that inevitably that comes along. Great times come along and, uh, we all need to know how to navigate those great times. And, and, and I just curious, how do you navigate those times where like the best decisions, maybe not, not real evident. Well, I, you know, back to like my job. I mean, I get asked this all the time about baseball. You know, what is your job? What do you do every day? And truly it's kind of crisis management. I, I would say what I started in this business of wanting to, you know, out on the field and coaching is that's probably 10% of my job of actually being on the field coaching. The other 90% is everything else, you know, dealing with all the complexities and you're basically a CEO of, you know, at this level, you're a CEO of a, of a sports organization. And, um, but the, the gray that you talk about, I've never been one to where I put down a list and, and make team quote unquote rules. Um, I'm about standards. You know, it's like we are going to model and live our standards every single day. And humans are not the same. There are, you know, different situations. So that comes back to my mentor and my follow-up. Don't, you know, don't back yourself into a corner on something. And and I don't say that like that we're ever going to sacrifice it, uh, integrity or the right thing. The circumstances are different, you know, and so I always try to look at things individually, like what led to this decision or this behavior or whatever the scenario we're talking about, and then take a very pragmatic approach to solving that problem or dealing with that particular issue. And, you know, you could, I'm sure in your business, like I've seen a lot, you know, and I tell my guys that all the time, like, guys, there's not a lot that I haven't seen. I know I'm going to get surprised and I'm going to come upon some different things, but I try to handle everything individually and not, I mean, quite frankly, not be so black and white. Um, so let's just living by those standards every day and, and holding people accountable. There's uh, Sandy Aug, um, another very good mentor, me in the business side of things, because I've, I really got to dive into that stuff when I was out for that year. And I really fired up the entrepreneur piece of me. And he talks about jobs to be done. You know, that you want to give people expectations and give them specific tasks to do. And then once you do that, then you can hold people accountable. And Let them do it. Yeah. Let them do it. Then then hold them accountable. Well, that's the old father-in-law. Here I go again, but my father-in-law is hire good people and get out of the way. Yeah. I sit here today with this on my chest, not because I'm a great baseball coach. It's because I've surrounded myself with some really, really good people that, um, that I hire them and get out of the way and let them, let them go. Yeah. The more, the more I talk to people and, and. You know, one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I hear stories all the time. In my business, I'm hearing a story about this. I'm hearing a story about that. And it's so interesting to me. But one of the threads in those stories is, especially for people that are hiring or, or have some sort of supervisorial role, they're, they're generally, they say to me, look, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I, I hire smart guys in the room so that I can give them tasks and then let them do that. And then, of course, we bring that together, and I, I take a certain amount of credit for that. But almost to a fault, all leaders are 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 telling me that you know I'm not the smartest guy. There. And I think people like, you know, um, gosh, uh, software guys are a perfect example of that. 
um, that that bring all of these people into a room and they and they engineer these these pieces of software and these hardware and and, and all the people that you. <laughs> The CEOs, the Dells, and everybody—you hear about them, but you don't hear about the people that do all the work. I, I think that's that's indicative of uh, of that that kind of leadership. So I I totally agree with that. Um, but uh, let's see here. Well, Come but on. even on but but on that, I mean, it, it it's funny. Um, you going back to the just the time and period where we are in our lives, the the different people. But it takes you a while to figure that out, and I think it takes confidence in a leader to get delegated and step back and let people do their jobs. But if you don't, um, yeah, I think it really inhibits, you know, the growth of your organization. And, and I go back to me when I first started, I was only an assistant, I don't good or bad for two, for four years. And I was an assistant and a guy that let me do things, which ultimately helped. So I would always hold that dear to me. It's like, I want to let my assistants to do things. I want to motivate the way that I wanted to be motivated was like, don't micromanage me, like guide me, direct me, teach me, but let me roll. So that's what I try to do with my, you know, with my staff, my players. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. This episode of Grind to Growth to Greatness is brought to you by Terry Barr, distinctive real estate, advising families across Pennsylvania and Northern Virginia for over 15 years. Visit the website at terrybarrealestate.com. So there's a there's a huge difference, in, at least in my eyes, and you can you can uh, boil that down. But there is a big difference between college sports and professional sports. And uh, you know, from a college sports, you do a lot of recruiting. You go out and try to bring guys in. Uh, you know, you're wooing them here and trying to get him from over there. College or uh, you know, professional sports are a little bit different. And where you're hiring guys and uh, and you're drafting them. And that's so. Tell me about your perspective on the college versus the pro. And is that something you ever thought about making the leap into? In other words, kind of jumping the chasm and going into the truck. Obviously you could have. Yeah. And I had, yeah, I had those opportunities early on. I think for me, it's a lifestyle piece. Not that you can't have a good lifestyle on the pro side, but when I finished playing, you know, I also did the scout school with the Cubs. I thought I wanted to ultimately um, kind of do the scouting thing. But I, I realized quickly that I wanted to be on the other side of the fence. Right. Um, but no, I mean, I, I've thought about maybe my swan song would be to, to, to do something on the professional side. But I like the college environment because, and back to what I learned about myself and even in my, in my career, I align and my value set aligns really well with the Big Ten. I like the emphasis on the student athlete. I like this um, the development as the, the whole person, not that we didn't do that at Arizona state because we did. And there were some great kids and I, you know, still, you know, value those relationships. But I think just institutionally philosophy of the conference, it puts a big emphasis on, um, you know, the athlete part of that, but also when you're finished, who are you? How do you want to be remembered yeah. in this place in particular, Terry, I've never seen anything like the Michigan network. So that's different. I think the professional side of it, you kind of pointed it out. It's, it's, it's professional. Like there's no, I mean, you either get it done, you know, or you're gone and there's not as much as you know, there's not as much of that development off the field. I think there's been a little bit of a mind shift in that. Um, because what is it that hold the holistic, if you're good in all those areas, it's ultimately going to lead to good 
field success and playing success too. So there's been investments and new programming on the off the field stuff. But to me, the college versus the pro is more, um, there's more investment in that human being as a human being at the college level. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's true. I think I know my son played college football, as you know. And very Um, well. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, but he's, you know, there is an investment in, in young men at that level. And I think there has to be, I'm a little bit disappointed and I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I, I've been disappointed in professional sports because, uh, you know, as much as that's been a problem, it's been a problem for a long, long time, you know, having young men, whatever the situation, whether they're coming from, uh, tough upbringings or whatever, and that's the way out. Uh, you know, I, I think there's some programming like you're talking about that that's, needed at an early level for those guys because they gosh they come out of college they become wealthy and that you know what that does i mean that money will do a lot of negative things as well as good things so um it's interesting what what has nil done for you guys uh for you as what's the big you know what's the takeaway there i know it's early on in stages but what tell me about that well that's a hard one because everybody's still trying to figure it out um, it's, it's really new. And in fact, it's super new for me. The year that I was out was the first year that you could do it. So me, even me, who's been in this for 30 years, coming back and trying to navigate it. Um, I heard a lot and I, and I think like what Har- coach Harbaugh was saying from the Michigan football side, like Michigan. I, so I was reading about that as I was con- considering this job and the, the public perception was that Michigan was so far behind in NIL and Coach Harbaugh and Jawan Howard and others were complaining, we're not doing enough in that space. But I love their philosophy of it here. It's we're, we're not, Michigan's philosophy, at least that of our athletic director, Ward Manuel, is it's not a transactional experience. Like, this is not a pay-for-play institution. And does NIL, um, is it changing the face of college athletics? Absolutely. But I don't disagree. And here's the thing, like, I don't begrudge the, the student-athletes for getting money or the kids for getting money. Yeah. Because you look at the billions of dollars that institutions, conferences, TVs are building off the backs of their laborers, i.e. the athletes, why shouldn't they get compensated? Yeah. You know, I, I tell people all the time, when my son was at Indiana, he and our shortstop, they started a, a burrito delivery business after hours delivery. And they, and they got, it was shut down by the NCAA because they weren't allowed to make that money, even though it's a legitimate business outside of because they were a student athlete. I mean, how crazy is that? Yeah. And, you know, and in our sport of baseball, where it's not football and basketball, where everything's a full ride, most of our kids are spending several hundred, you know, thousand dollars, sometimes hundred thousand dollars to come to an institution, turning down hundreds of thousands of dollars to start the pro career to pursue their degree. What's wrong, you know, with them getting that? But, you know, is it, is it a bad, I don't think it's a bad thing. I hear people railing on it all the time. Um, I do think it needs to be regulated because there are you know, it's created a lot sure. of um, pay-for-play model. With- yeah, there's a very small percentage of the kids that are going to bring that, you know, going to have that opportunity to start with. And then, then all of a sudden it's equality and it's equity. And, and you know, then I, I guess the school, I was at Colorado, bought everybody a truck. It wasn't Colorado, but it was a school out there. Utah, that's right. Just bought, you know, the whole team a truck. And I know that wasn't NIL. It was boosters. Well, and- no, that's kind of nil and and i think the point we need to talk about with that is and back to the just in people like yeah. you can throw all the money i'm gonna leave i won't say the specific institution but you can look it up you know a lot of them through big money 
And yeah. that doesn't that doesn't guarantee winning. So it goes back to like you have to invest in people. Yeah. And get the right people and the right culture and all of those things. That's what's going to produce a winning outcome, not just this transactional yeah. you know, pay work. Hey, come play for us for a year and then so I, I wish they'd set it up so the kids didn't have access to the majority of those funds, how big they are, whatever they are, until after their playing career. In other words, whatever some sort of a you know, retirement fund or some sort of a fund that allowed them some income to come off for food. I mean, my son was a full ride stu- uh, student athlete, and I I still spent three or four hundred bucks a month in food. You know, it's so there are some things broken there, but I agree with you. I think the kids should have access to some of those those dollars. I'm just not sure how you, how you give it to them without ruining them. You know, or it's a horrible. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answers. Yeah. If you figure that out, you you do a podcast. <laughs> Yeah. yeah well anyway let's get back to it but um and then i won't take too much of your time but uh so tell me about outs off the field out of the office tell me about your personal passions do you have anything you know i see some of the stuff you do and that's generally with your boys or your grandkids or just relaxing or spending time with your family but Anything off the field that you devote some of your mental efforts to, your physical efforts to? I mean, it's a big job, I understand, but. Yeah, no, it, um, well, I like to, I mean, I like to work out, but in the sense of, you know, my philosophy on that is one, one I'm in an athletic business, but um, but it's like, I like, to, I think I do some of my best thinking, you know, ideas when I'm working out, but it's that old pay me now or pay me later philosophy for me that, you know, I, I want to stay healthy and. And I'm, an, I'm, I've got resources at my disposal, so I like to do that, and and I'll do a lot of my calls and whatever I need to do, and I'm working out. The other thing, and I, it was funny, I had a, some colleagues would reach out to me and be like, "Hey, how do you handle stress? We're losing, and it's getting to me." I go, "I know this is going to sound crazy, but what I love to do, and my favorite thing to do, is watch streaming stuff, like because it just takes me away. We can." beat ourselves up mentally, you know, and obsess over losses or I like to just totally divorce. It's a strategy that's worked for me. Um, it keeps my heart rate down, but I like to tor- totally divorce myself from w- whether it's a tough loss or something, you know, and I do through streaming and I, and I actually love and look forward to good content. There's not a lot out there that I haven't seen. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but I love doing that. So people are trying to get most people are trying to get less screen time. You're trying to get more of it because that that really helps you in a in a day to day stress reducer. Huh? It, it is. It really is, and it just it works for me. And I know that's probably not the most intellectual thing to ever say, but it works for me because what it allows me to do is to 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 totally get out of whatever's going on, me, good, bad, or otherwise, and live vicariously through somebody else, good, bad, or otherwise. And then when that's over, then you're kind of like, okay, now let's roll the sleeves up and give you problems. So, yeah, interesting. So I love it. All right, so what's your favorite stream? Well, there's no, there's no close second, but Breaking Bad was <laughs> Loved the it. best ever. Loved uh, it. I hate when that oh, came to an end. <laughs> oh, I know. But, I mean, it's been, I mean, Peaky Blinders is a really, really good one. There's another one out there, Gangs yeah. of London, that did get Oh, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, I, I've watched, gosh, 
Oh, I'm a big West. I'm a big West Wing. Now, here's the thing: I didn't watch a lot of television and things. Okay. When I was playing, so and I remember 2013. This is crazy. I was watching uh, Lost yeah. at that time yeah. the entire season. But Terry, I remember I'd be standing down there coaching in the third base coaching box during a game and thinking, I can't wait to get back to the hotel. What? <laughs> 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 So. Uh, that's a good that's a good uh and I, and I do the same thing i do some streaming of some some shows i what it was called i think one of the ones was uh dexter he was oh uh, yeah oh it's a good one they got uh i guess a new season uh like four or five different i i, I just watched it the other night it was i've watched a couple of them already couple. and we're and so my son being in the film space like we're actually oh yeah um doing the docuseries thing as well we're we're actively we did it at ASU. My athletic director and I got a little sideways, so it never got out. But we we basically had our knocks of that, and we're currently working on that. In fact, today um, I had a sales call with one of the major streaming platforms to potentially um, use their up. service to do that. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So let's uh, let, just let's uh, talk just briefly about what's next for Tracy Smith. What's uh you know not not tomorrow not next year but you know when this whole uh, when this whole uh, lifetime experiment comes to an end and you decide to go on from something that's not coaching, what do you think's next for you? Well, when I was out um, that year and back to the reframing, you know, it's like okay, this this was the first time. I mean, I I, I jokingly just call it my sabbatical, but you know, I was fired at Arizona State, and I'll sit here today and tell you. That was a very humbling experience. Uh, you know, I could go into all the reasons why I, we didn't fail, and it's just you know sometimes things just come to an end because philosophies don't match. But during that time, um, I actually had the good fortune, and my entrepreneur spirit was lit up. Yeah, uh, the the diamond allegiance was something that I dove into, and really, there's this issue of travel baseball as we know it across the country today. It's taken on back to that whole business thing that we were talking about earlier. I think it's gotten away from when you and I played way back in the day playing. It's like people, families are investing, I mean, honestly, tuition cost for their kids to play travel baseball. So we, and I say we, me and some business people and some of the top people in our game today are saying, look, enough's enough. And working with Major League Baseball and others of saying, look, we know this is broken. Let's try to fix it. So that's what I've been doing. And I kind of say like my swan song is when I hope that when when I'm done coaching is that I can actually provide all this experience and do a give back of like um, provide true direction to families because this false narrative, I and I call it a false narrative, uh, like if you don't play power five baseball, you're a failure. Like I hate that. I hate it because going back to my days of Miami, of Ohio and Miami Middletown where I started, that's not even a branch campus, but I still got excited on wins. I hated the losses, and but it was a great fit. So what what I'm trying to say is, kids could play beyond high school. Any kid could play. Find the right fit. It's out there, but let's like let's get over this notion that you have to play Power Five to be successful, but also to make this more affordable for families. So yeah, it's it's such a such a slender slice of the talent out there. They get to you know a big league bench somewhere. And, and, you know, the media does a good job of, of selling the glitz and glamour, um, you know, just to use my son as a, an example, but he got every bit 
every ounce of his talent out of his ability. I mean, he worked harder than anybody I've ever seen. He had some success, real success at high school, good success, had some injuries, all that stuff. But in the end, he wasn't good enough. You know, I mean, All-State two years in a row. He was Defensive Player of the Year in the East Coast. I mean, led the, led the, led the D1, you know, just like this. In the end, just wasn't good enough. And I don't know how you, I don't know how you, present that information to a young student without breaking their spirit and saying that's in my eyes that's the problem i'm motivated because i want to be like them okay be motivated go chase that but when it's when it's time to shut it down you got to know when it's time but back to your question of the college versus pro as a college coach you get to weave in all of those messages all of those life lessons and things that are going to help because we say, I, I coached at some of the coolest play here. Like, think of some of the players that have played here. I mean, Hall of Famers, Arizona State, some of the best to ever play the game. Not just college, but the game. But every time I would talk, I would point to their thing up on the board as a, with a recruit and a parent and say, now look at that name, but understand that as good as they are or were, their uniform comes off at some day. Who are you? That's the role that I think we have to serve as the coach. And But back to, like, that's when I'm going to I'm, – I'm involved in that now. I've had to, you know – throttle back a little bit that I've been back into coaching, but I am actively engaged in making this game of baseball better um, in the long run and getting it back to honestly what it was in before, which play and compete and have fun and stay, you know, you don't have to travel across the country to play a game. You can travel 20 minutes down the, you know, it's tough. It's tough. When you see these guys out there like Schwarber and some of these guys that, you've had intimate conversation with making all the kind of money they're making. I, it's, it's a slippery slope that we've kind of slid down and it's hard to climb back up into a, a place where these, these kids can say, Hey, I can go have fun and, and I can compete and I can play, you know, in college or high school or wherever it is and have a good time and not have to worry about, you know, going to the pros or, or I, I think it's just uh well would you agree would you agree i would say that the market's going to tell you sure like, very good. be good you know be good be good in what you are be good today you said torkelson earlier i mean yeah. he's the arguably the greatest player on the planet at the time is the one one yeah but even he struggled and yeah. you know his part of his reframe of just be good today and you can't force the process so yeah. just enjoy every single day enjoy life experiences all the things that come and the market's going to tell you eventually if you're good enough, just like with with, with what your son yeah. had to go. Yeah, yeah, it's true, it's true. It's a hard it's a hard thing to to come to, but we've all come to it at some point. So, well, listen, I wanna I wanna thank you for this. Uh, it's been a long time since we've talked one on one, face to face, but a uh, lot of good information, a lot of uh, a lot of great insights from a guy like you that's been there, got 30 years in the business, and uh, hopefully there's uh, as many more years as you want. To be in the business will be there for you. Uh, I'm excited. I've always I've always loved watching your progression and your successes and your family grow. So, so thanks for coming on this uh, this podcast and uh, and sharing uh, your mindset and your successes and failures and, and a little bit about your family. So thank you. Well, no, and I'll, I'll say the same. It's like you know, privilege to talk in the business part of it, but to reconnect, man, with childhood buddy. And again, look at that hat. Right, I like that hat back on that shelf. That's right, right there. We we got the old we got the old Michigan hat. I even went and made sure I got the right color, you know, because I that's, a, all, that's the baseball oh, stuff. But, but uh, absolutely. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, thanks for 
tuning in to the Grind to Growth to Greatness with Tracy Smith, the head baseball coach at Michigan. Uh, tune in this year. If you're not a baseball fan, this is a great time to jump on the bandwagon for Big Blue. And uh, uh, tune in next week when we have our next guest. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. You've been listening to the Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. Our passion is to talk to the brightest entrepreneurs, CEOs, creators, athletes, anyone who's made it, and dive in to their struggles, their successes, and their secrets. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at grind to growth to greatness. See you next time.